Today on the show, we are going to analyze Dr. Richard Carrier's assessment of Paul's recounting of the Lord's Supper and his claim that Paul does not refer to a historical Jesus. My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe. Well, the viewers of this show and the listeners of this podcast will know that I have recently had on uh, John Gleason, also known as Godless Engineer, to discuss this very topic of Jesus mythicism in general. But more specifically, in that interview, we talked about Paul's recounting of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. Again, it was great to have John on. He was an excellent guest, and I really enjoyed that conversation. I'd like to look at these verses in more depth, specifically analyzing Dr. Richard Carrier's uh, analysis of them. Uh, Dr. Richard Carrier is the well-known champion of Jesus mythicism, which is, again, the position that Jesus was originally conceived of as a celestial being or angelic being, um, and he only later became historicized by the gospel authors and, and later Christians. Now, as you can tell, a core tenet or a foundational point, kind of uh, however you want to word that, of Jesus' mythicism is that the letters of Paul do not attest to a historical Jesus, but rather to a celestial or angelic being, Jesus. Now, this is needed on the mythicist part, and if they're correct, then it would be um, a fairly strong point, a fairly strong argument. I don't think it would be a knockdown uh, argument, but it would be a, a strong argument because Paul's letters are some of the earliest Christian writings that we have. In fact, most people think they are the earliest uh, Christian writings that we have. And if the earliest Christians did not believe in a historical Jesus, then you might be able to make the case um, that it only later became historicized in the Gospels and later writings. Now, for the Christian audience, and perhaps others, a number of verses probably pop into your mind that say, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure Paul refers to a historical Jesus, and you would not be alone in that assessment. And for me, one of the the um, more explicit verses, I think there's a number of them, but one of the more explicit passages is 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. And I'm going to go ahead and read that real quick. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26 and I was reading from the Lexham English Bible. So do these verses uh, not attest to a historical Jesus? Carrier thinks not. And I would like to examine his claims in his uh, very popular magnum opus on the historicity of Jesus, why we might have reason for doubt. And I have the Kindle version, and he addresses the Eucharist in location uh, 35, 3, 35, 641 through location 35, 719. want to make sure to cite that, and I will leave a link in the description um, for those who want to get a copy of that, I recommend reading it. It is a, um, an interest, interesting book. Um, I don't agree with, I disagree with just about every sentence in there, but um, it was worth reading so that you can, um, you know, hear other people's ideas and, and know why you believe what you believe. So Carrier asserts right from the beginning um, that when Paul says, I received this from the Lord, that he means 
a divine revelation. He means uh, something like he meant in Galatians 1, 11 through 12, where he is explicitly saying he uh, received the gospel through a divine revelation in something like his uh, road to Damascus experience where he was converted. And, and now in his book, Carrier just mentions this in just a few sentences and goes right along as if this should be obvious, as if it's absolutely certain. But upon further investigation, we find that Carrier's assertion is uh, at least less certain. So in Galatians, Paul goes out of his way to make the, the point that he did not initially receive the gospel from man, that his gospel is not of human origin, and that he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Whereas in 1 Corinthians, Paul simply says, I received from the Lord. Like it, So in Galatians, he goes out of his way and he makes multiple statements that this gospel is not from man. This gospel is not of human origin. I did not receive it, or I did receive it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Like he even mentions the word revelation. So when Paul wants to make the point that he has received something through direct uh, divine revelation from Jesus, he goes out of his way to make the point. Now we could say that and then say here in First Corinthians, he just says, I received it from the Lord. Uh, that could still mean uh, apostolic tradition. We could go that route. Um, it is also worth noting that the in Galatians, Paul is saying that he initially received the gospel from Jesus uh, in a divine revelation, and he's doing this in order to bolster his claim to apostleship. So, in, in other words, it, it's, it's apparent that in Galatian, in Galatia, the church in Galatia, there were uh, those who were questioning Paul's authority, and he's saying, and um, they're questioning his authority. Uh, over and against the authority of the apostles uh, like Peter and James and whoever else. And Paul's saying, I've had a direct divine revelation from Jesus. So in that sense, I'm an apostle also. But nowhere does he claim, and I don't think Carrier um, would disagree with this, nowhere does he claim that he didn't receive anything from the apostles. Uh, in fact, he tells us that he uh, went to Jerusalem twice, and he specifically highlights his encounters with Peter and James, the Lord's brother, which would be another point of contention between uh, mythicists and historicists. Um, but clearly Paul did go to Jerusalem, and he received tradition from them, as we know in 1 Corinthians um, uh, 15. So he does go to Jerusalem. He's familiar with the apostles, uh, unless we're going to say that they just talked about the weather, they were obviously talking about Jesus and traditions that they were familiar with and things like that, and we know that he passed on other traditions that he received from uh, apostolic sources like in 1 Corinthians 15 that virtually nobody disputes. So we know that he did go, uh, he was familiar with the apostles, and he did receive tradition from them, and so it's possible that he's just relaying that tradition here. It is also possible that he does mean divine revelation. Um, Carrier is correct that Paul sometimes, at least once in Galatians, um, claims to have a divine revelation. And so he could be saying that here. It's really neither here nor there for um, the purpose at hand, whether or not Paul believes in historical Jesus. It really doesn't matter if he received this from divine revelation or if he was told it by the uh, apostles in Jerusalem or whoever. So, I'm not trying to make the point that he certainly received this tradition through apostolic sources. He very well may have uh, gotten it through divine revelation, or he may very well be claiming to have got it from divine revelation. Um, my point is just to make uh, the point that this isn't as certain as Carrier asserts 
uh, in his recounting uh, of these verses. So Carrier then goes on to point out the similarities between 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, and Mark 14, 22-25. And he's basically saying this: the, the similarities and the verbal similarities are far too uh, similar to be a coincidence. And he's certainly correct in that. I don't think anybody thinks it's a coincidence. And uh, But he uses this as a basis to say, uh, for, or for establishing dependence. And since 1 Corinthians was written before Mark, the dependence is that of Mark on 1 Corinthians. In other words, Mark used Paul's letters in drafting his narrative about Jesus. And so what Carrier is trying to say that this somehow shows that originally in 1 Corinthians you have a celestial angelic being Jesus, and then Mark later turns it into a historical Jesus. And, you, and we know this because of the ver- verbal similarities between the texts. Now, again, this is actually peripheral to the question of Jesus' historicity, because Mark is only turning... Paul's 1 Corinthians letter into a historical Jesus if, in fact, 1 Corinthians does not recount a historical Jesus. Like, it it assumes that 1 Corinthians is attesting to a celestial Jesus, right? Well, that's yet to be proven. Like, first you've got to prove that, and then then you might be able to show that Mark turned 1 Corinthians into a historical Jesus. But the fact that Mark used Paul does not in and of itself show that Paul did not believe in a historical Jesus, Right? You first have to establish that he did not believe in a historical Jesus. And so he's yet to do that. So we can really see this point because it's peripheral. It doesn't really matter. If Mark used Paul, that's fine. If Paul believed in historical Jesus, then Mark is using Paul and filling in the details, telling basically the same story of a historical event. But if it's not a historical Jesus in 1 Corinthians, then you might have a case that Mark is turning celestial Jesus into historical Jesus. But you have to establish that first. You have to establish celestial Jesus in 1 Corinthians first. <clears throat> but I do want to divulge here for a second. Uh, a first importance would be the dating of Mark. So Carrier would undoubtedly date Mark later than I or a conservative would. I'm not sure exactly what the date he would give it is. Uh, but I, I was uh, emailing uh, Dr. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar, and he responded to my question about Mark and Paul dependence, and he was saying that he believed Mark to be too early um, in, in order for there to be a dependence between Mark and Paul, or Mark upon Paul. So, um, in other words, he was saying Mark was written too early, and he was writing in Rome, far uh, away from Corinth, that dependence here was very unlikely. So that was just an interesting comment from Keener. He just mentioned it in an email. He didn't wasn't obviously defending the point or anything like that. But nonetheless, if if we answered the previous question about where Paul got this information from with apostolic tradition instead of divine revelation, then what we will see is that Paul and Mark had similar sources apostolic tradition. So in other words, another explanation for the similarities here is that Mark and Paul are using either the same or similar sources, which might be um, uh, oral tradition from the apostles or written tradition from the apostles, either way. But considering that Paul claims to know Cephas, who's Peter, and that Mark's gospel has long been thought to be connected with Peter's testimony, this whole situation begins to look quite a bit different. But of course, again, we don't need any of these counter-interpretations uh, to succeed in order to show that Paul believed in a historical Jesus here in 1 Corinthians. We can grant all of this to Carrier. We can grant or cede all of his assertions up to this point for the sake of argument if we'd like. And I do like to cede as much as I possibly can because it makes dialogue a lot easier. Okay, so Carrier then takes a turn that I must admit was quite surprising, and which is saying something, right? Because pretty much everything he says 
to me, in just my opinion, is is quite bizarre. And so for him to surprise me is saying something. But he states that Paul's divine revelation must of the Lord's Supper. So he's 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 claiming that he um, that Paul had this vision of Jesus and vision uh, of the Lord's Supper. And he's saying that this must have been something like Peter's vision in Acts 10, 9-17, where Peter is, is up on the roof, and he's fixing to go preach the gospel to some Gentiles. Um, and he has this uh, vision uh, with the sheet coming down, right? And, and Jesus says, uh, you know, kill Peter and eat, or, or whatever the exact wording is. I don't have it in front of me. But there's eating there, right? There's a vision, and there's eating. It's like a meal. So he draws out this similarity between Acts 10, 9-17 and 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. And the similarity is the fact that their visions, which is, first of all, we would dispute, but secondly, uh, that, that they're eating. And so, see, they, they probably would have been uh, something like this. First of all, the dissimilarities far outweigh the similarities, but we'll leave that to one side. Here's my major point. Acts was written decades after 1 Corinthians. So, if it is fair game for Carrier to use Acts as an interpretive method, why on earth would it be off-limits to use Mark, which Carrier just stated has an astonishing amount of similarity, right? So he's saying, right, Carrier would undoubtedly not let me say, okay, when we look at the First Corinthians text and we're trying to figure out if it's a historical event or just some celestial Jesus or whatever, we might use Mark because Mark's an early source that records the same event as a historical event. So we might use Mark for interpreting Paul to fill in the details that we don't get in Paul. Well, that's well, we can't do that, right? Because, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about celestial Jesus, and Mark is turning celestial Jesus into historical Jesus, right? So he's not going to let us use that as a case for, for making the historical case. But for whatever reason, he's allowed to use the book of Acts, which was written decades later, to make the case that this was some uh, visionary meal that Paul was having. I mean, if you can't see the inconsistency there, then I don't have much to say to you. It's 100% ad hoc, and he's obviously being inconsistent with respect to what he counts as evidence and what he's not. He's allowing himself to use the book of Acts, where he would never let me use the book of Mark to make a historical argument. He then goes on to make a textbook fallacy. So let's, let's recall here. Paul recounts Jesus as saying, this is my body, which is for you. And so, according to Carrier, Jesus' body is obviously for all believers, right? And not just a particular group of people that would have been present if this were a historical event. So, hence, this is not a historical event. Here is where Carrier's thesis completely falls apart, and I would say obviously so. So, for one thing, this is a textbook a case of a negative inference fallacy. It's called a negative inference fallacy. So if a father tells his son, I love you, and his daughter walks up and says, you don't love me anymore, daddy? Right? She's made a textbook case of a, a negative inference fallacy. The fact that the father loves his son does not exclude or negate, hence the negative inference, it does not negate the fact that he also loves his daughter. The negative inference is unwarranted. So, Jesus nowhere says, my body is only for you. 
this particular group. This means that Jesus could say to a specific group of people on a on a on a at a at a at a dinner party or wherever an actual historical event. He could say to a specific group of people, "This is my body, which is for you," while at the same time maintaining that his body is for everyone, because this particular you is part of everyone, right? There's no there's no exclusion of 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 either. This is a negative inference fallacy, and it's obviously so. I mean, it's so blaringly obvious. So I'm going to make the case that it's more probable that Jesus was speaking to a particular group of people and not just all Christians in general. But the mere fact that it's possible brings down Carrier's entire thesis, right? Because we seeded every point up until this up until this point, right? We can give him everything he wanted previously about Mark and dependence upon Paul and um, the fact that this was a divine revelation and not coming from apostolic sources. We can seed all of that. We're not going to see this because it's a fallacy in logic. It's a logical fallacy to say because Jesus' body was given for all people, he could not say it is given for you. You are a part of all people, so absolutely, yes, he could. You've made a textbook case of a negative inference fallacy. And so your major point, the only point that actually has substance, is based upon a fallacy. Now, the key to interpreting this whole text which just so happens to be the one thing that Carrier glosses over, which is oddly convenient. The key is Paul's statement on the night in which he was betrayed. So Carrier interprets betrayed as delivered up, which is fine with me, because according to Carrier, this delivered up is a reference to Jesus' death, which I agree. So we should read it as on the night in which Jesus was killed or handed over to be killed. Now, everything that follows, the bread, the cup, Jesus' teaching, that all happened on the night in which Jesus was delivered up. And here's the key. Neither Paul nor the Corinthians or all believers everywhere, none of these people were present on the night in which Jesus was delivered up. But someone was because Jesus is addressing someone, and that someone is a plural you. So when he says, my body is for you, here's the cup or whatever the blood is for you. That's a plural word in the Greek. It would be like saying y'all, right? And Carrier actually agrees with this. He mentions it too, that the word you is plural. He tries to use that as making the case that it's all Christians everywhere, which we just saw was a, a fallacy. So Jesus is speaking on the night in which he was delivered up to a plural you that is not a reference to Paul, the Corinthians, or all believers everywhere because all believers everywhere were not present on the night in which Jesus was delivered up obviously. And and there's no reason to exclude the teaching uh, to the specific people that were there from all believers, as we just noted um, when we were talking about the negative inference fallacy. So, on the night in which Jesus was delivered up, there were a present plural, you all, in front of him, in which he initially spoke these words to. Now, these words may apply to all believers everywhere, but clearly they were initially spoken to those who were present on the night in which Jesus was delivered up. There's no way around that. The, the grammar, you look at it however you want. The context will not allow you to interpret this any other way. On the night in which Je Jesus was delivered up is the key to interpreting this text, especially when it comes to whether or not this is Paul recounting a historical event or not. He clearly believes that on the night in which Jesus was delivered up, there were people that were present, and that's who Jesus initially spoke these words to. Even though these words apply to all Christians, or possibly all people, right? Because I believe that Jesus offered his body up for all people, not just Christians. Um, 
that's clearly what Paul believes, that on the night Jesus was delivered up, there were people in front of him. He initially spoke these words to them, and these words apply now to all Christians everywhere, including Paul, including the Corinthians, including Christians today. That's obviously the case here. But we can actually make one more point, and the point here actually has to do with the theology that Paul, um, or that Jesus is teaching and Paul is recounting. So Carrier is quite correct that Jesus' body is believed by Paul to be for all believers, or possibly all people. But let's point out the obvious. Jesus sacrificed his body for people, right? We have no reason to believe that he sacrificed his body for animals, right? As if they sin. And we have no reason to think that he sacrificed his body for believers. I mean, (laughs) excuse me, for uh, angels or celestial beings, right? He sacrificed his body for people, right? Human sin, he was a sacrifice for that. That's the way to salvation. That's Paul's theology. So when he says, my body is for you, to this plurality of people that are present on the night in which Jesus was delivered up, we have to interpret that as being human beings. We have no choice. I don't know if anybody would want to make the case that the you there is some celestial people hanging out with Jesus in outer space. A carrier doesn't make that case. But anyway... But back to the original question. So does this event sound like a historical event or like some celestial vision? Well, obviously it sounds like a historical event whenever you take into consideration the key to interpreting this text, which is on the night in which Jesus was delivered up. Paul, the Corinthians, all believers everywhere were not present on the night in which Jesus was delivered up. And so we must, uh, we have to interpret this as on the night in which Jesus was delivered up, he spoke to a plurality of people, that plural you in there, and he taught that his body and his blood was going to be sacrificed for them through his sacrificial uh, atoning death. So whether or not all of this is actually uh, true, right, this is what Paul believed. This is what our earliest sources give us. And I'm just making the case that Paul clearly believed this to be a historical event. There's no doubt in my mind. There should be no doubt in your mind. And Carrier has to completely twist this text into, uh, I don't know, a weird contortion of interpretation, but... But more, he has to skip over the fact that it of on the night in which Jesus was delivered up, and he has to make a negative inference fallacy. Like he's he's clearly going out of his way to avoid the obvious, and the text just will not allow it. All right, the interpretation that Paul believed um, that on the night in which Jesus was delivered up, there was people around him, and he was teaching this theology based on his, his sacrificial atonement death. My body's for you. My blood's for you. This interpretation is much more uh, in line with the text and much more consistent than Carrier's interpretation. Um, so, I mean, that, that's why I believe here we have uh, an attestation to an actual historical event. Like, there were people, the human beings, gathered around Jesus and he was teaching this. Um, it's obviously very symbolic and very, um, the theology applies to later believers, but that does not preclude the uh, interpretation that there were people present at that time on the night in which Jesus was delivered up. In fact, we, I, I think we, we must conclude that there were people present on the night in which de- Jesus was delivered up, and he taught this initial teaching of the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Well, if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review, and of course, if you want to become a supporter of Help Me Believe, just follow the Patreon link in the description below, and you'll get access to bonus content, early release, and other exclusive uh, content over at our Patreon page. My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe. (laughs) 